All right. This is the Rebel Room, a Las Vegas Sun podcast. I'm uh, Ray Brewer, alongside with uh, Mike Germala, and uh, he covers all things UNLV. And I think I know everything about UNLV. But uh, Mike, uh, it's it's the summer, and uh, a chance to kind of look ahead to what could be a uh, an exciting uh, UNLV football and basketball season on the horizon. I know we've said that multiple times over the years, um, especially when it comes to football. And it seems like every year they're in the same boat. They play 12 games. They're projected to win two or three games. They hope to get to uh, uh, to six wins. They think they've got what it takes to get to six wins, and they end up winning two or three games like the experts say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much a story for them every year. Like it's that six is that mad, that magical number. You can kind of talk yourself into it um, in the off season. And then they get hit by the harsh reality during that non-conference uh, uh, play. So yeah, that's, that's what they're trying to avoid this year. Marcus Arroyo, he's in his third year. He's got to avoid the the same old same old you know it's if it's if it gets to like the middle of september and people are saying oh this is the same old UNLV football uh that's obviously a, a really bad sign for the program so they they think that they've got enough talent on hand they think the coaching is good enough they think they can take that next step and actually compete this year so um they think they've got what it takes yeah it's interesting on saturday uh michael the golden nugget posted a betting line for all of the UNLV football games, all 12 of the games, UNLV's favored four times, right? Season opener against Idaho State where they're favored by more than three touchdowns and they have to win. And then not again until the end of the schedule when they go Hawaii, New Mexico, and then the last game where they're a one-point favorite at home against uh, UNR. I went on Twitter on Saturday and I said, that is a must-win game for the head coach Marcus Aroro. If they are that two or three-win team that that we expect them to be, and he loses at home again to Reno, and mind you, a Reno team that is awful, um, awful, awful, awful. Um, the coach left for Colorado State. They got a new coach. They got a new quarterback. That quarterback got arrested for DUI last weekend. Yeah. The cupboard's bare over there, and if you can't beat them at home, then you got to you, – you know, that that I think would be the opportunity for <coughs> UNLV to justifiably look at the coaching situation and make a decision. The one thing I would say I would caution about that UNR game is that it's literally six months away. Like that's at the end of November. That's at November 26th. That's a long time from now. It's a lot of time for them to regain their footing, I guess, find their form. Um, if they can, you know, if the, the coaching staff and the quarterback situation sort of clarifies throughout the season, um, I think you'd, I think we'd feel a lot better about that matchup if it was happening in week one or if it was the Mountain West opener, but um, they'll have some time to find themselves as will UNLV. But you, you said, you know, you, I'm inferring that you expect them to go into that game as a two or three win team. Is that, is that the case? Do you not think that they can get to five wins heading into that game to make it, you know, mean something? Well, the, the one thing about the Mountain West, Mike, is it's a really bad league. 
sorry for the coughing, everybody. I'm, I think a little piece of gum, and I've got the uh, <coughs> the residual coming in. But, Do you want me to vamp? I can, if you want to put yourself on uh, mute, I can vamp for a few minutes and uh, talk people through the schedule. And no, okay. Um, but yeah, because you're, you know, it's you and Elias. Is what I'm trying to say, and anything can yeah. happen in a bad league, right? Of, yeah. And we've seen it happen sometimes, but we haven't seen it happen in UNLV's favor. Like we haven't seen them take advantage of that in a long time. So it's one thing for it to be a bad league and you can use that to your advantage and sort of rise above it. It's another thing if it's a bad league and you are the main contributing factor to it being such a bad league, like you are one of the teams that make it bad. So I'm not sure how much that that helps or UNLV or how much it uh, affects them, but I think if they go into that, that final week of the season and that game doesn't matter, that's I would consider that um, falling below expectations for this year. I mean, it should matter no matter what the schedule is. Do you mean not matter because I mean in terms of no bowl, in terms of bowl competition, in terms of bowl eligibility, like they should be at five wins. <laughs> that game should matter for them to go to a bowl game. Like you don't think they can go five and six heading into that game. Like I feel like that's what it should be. Um, I know yeah. they're all they're fa- I know they're favored in four games, but um, I mean the one game for me that I think could be the linchpin in getting to six is. Uh, according to the the odds that we saw, that September seventeenth game against North Texas is a pick'em. Basically, yes, and that's a home game. And it's a home game on a big weekend in Vegas, right? That's the the Mexican Independence Day weekend. Um, so there's going to be a lot of action on the strip that that night. It's an afternoon game, though, a noon kickoff uh, for the Rebels. But yeah, for me. That's a must win because you you get Idaho State on the 27th, which you should win that game, right? Absolutely must win. If they lose that game, cancel the rest of the season. Like that, They will win that game. They have to. What, what happened last year can't happen again. I think they'll take a much different approach heading into it this year. But, yes, must win week one. Yeah, and, and Idaho, Idaho State's basically got a high school slash junior college football coach um, they just had a wide receivers coach arrested for murder. Um, you know, uh, for all intents and purposes. Really? Yeah. 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 Uh, um, yeah. For all the weird part is that I covered that kid, uh, one game in high school, his high school team played Gorman and I covered the game, but, uh, we get sidetracked. Then UNLV Mike gets two weeks off to go to Cal to play the Cal bears. Is that game off the off the list of probabilities to win? I don't honestly. I don't. That's such a weird quirk of the schedule because um, that obviously that week one matchup got moved up a week. That had that just happened recently um, for TV. So they're playing in week zero, and then they don't play until week two. So that's you play. You get an entire off season. You play one game against Idaho State, which should be a scrimmage, basically. And then you get two more weeks off before you go to Cal to play your true road game. That's just so tough. Like wh- how, I don't know what that team is going to look like. Um, it's basically like giving you a second training camp almost after your first game. Yeah. Do I think and- that game is winnable? Uh, let's see how they look in week one. If they come out and they, they trounce Idaho state, you know, like 50 to six, I think they might go into that Cal game with some people thinking like, Hey, this is a feisty kind of team. Like, 
if Harrison Bailey is throwing the ball and you can actually score some points in week one, like I could see some people thinking that's an upset possibility. Yeah, but so Michael Cal's only a 10 point favorite, which means that it's not, you know, it's not an end of the world type of thing. Like for another example, Air Force is also a 10 point favorite at UNLV on October 15th. So you're telling me Air Force in a really, really crappy Mountain West is as good as Cal? They might be. I Well, I would say that line might be low. We saw what Air Force did to UNLV on the final game of last season, where it was basically a college team versus a high school team, like a t- two teams that did not belong on the same playing field. So Air Force might be better. Like Air Force might be. And when it comes to playing UNLV, they might be a better bet to cover that line than Cal. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I know this. Of the 12 games, there's one game that should be a win, Idaho State. And there's one game that is a loss. And that would be UNLV at Notre Dame. Is that fair? I think that's, uh, I think that's more than fair on both points. Um I mean, even Fresno's a 12-point favorite over UNLV. You're telling me that Fresno's going to come here and beat UNLV by 12 points? So that you're telling me that Fresno and Air Force are the best two teams in the Mountain West? Well, isn't San Diego State also a double-digit favorite, I believe? Um, Yeah, it looks like – well, San Diego State is 11-and-a-half on the sheet that I'm looking at. Um, but they're at home against UNLV. Yeah. Utah State that, is 12 that points. That game here would be like an eight or a, a seven and a half. Same thing with Utah State. They're a 12-point favorite at home. Uh, yeah, I believe, yeah, 12 at home. That's the first game of the Mountain West schedule. So, yeah, I don't – there's only one game uh, where I see where UNLV is a single-digit underdog that's against san jose state all the other mountain west games they're either favored or a double digit dog which seems like a there's kind of a gulf there where they don't seem to be there's no other teams in unlv's tier Mm -hmm. Um, it's just teams that they're favored over and then teams that they're huge underdogs to yeah well so the the one thing that i still don't know the answer to and i don't know if you know the answer to it but Last year, their offense was pretty much one-dimensional. As Charles Williams performed, so did UNLV. Um, He touched the ball an absorbent amount of plays. I think he had like 85% of their rushing attempts. Who's going to be the running back? We don't know. We saw them in spring ball, and the running back group was – pretty underwhelming, not in terms of how they played on the field, but just in terms of like the, the weight of that group, it doesn't seem like they had a, like a lead number one, or even like a number two guy in that group. It was, you know, Courtney Reese is like a third down back, you know, throw some swing passes to him. Um, I don't think they, we I don't think we saw whoever is going to be their guy carrying the ball on first and second down. I don't know if we saw them in spring ball. Um, and Arroyo said, you know, just keep an eye on the transfer wire. I know the, the portal is closed going in, but they could still pull, pull some players out and bring them on the, on to, into the program. So 
I don't know who the running back is going to be. Um, I'm not sure that they want to run the ball this year. I think that there's a good chance that last year was, we saw last year's offense basically just because Charles Williams was the best player that they had. I think this year they think they've got a good quarterback. They like their receivers. Arroyo likes to throw the ball. I think we may see like, if people are expecting like who is going to be Charles Williams replacement, who's going to be the guy that takes his 280 carries. I don't think that they are going to hand the ball off to anyone 280 times combined. They may be a team that runs the ball 12 times a game, only in short yarded situations or only on draw plays or only to keep the defense honest. They may be a team that comes out and throws it 40 times. I think that's more likely than seeing a, like a true number one running back emerge. Yeah. And I, and I guess the question there is, you know, a lot of people have raved about the the transfer quarterback from Tennessee, and rightfully so. He he looks the part, and he he definitely slung it around a little bit. But you know, you're one injury away from you know, and I guess you finally do have some backups that are worthy at that position with both Friel and and Brumfeld, but. I just don't know. I mean, plus, who are the wide receivers, um, right? They haven't been it, – It's there's a lot of unknowns. Now, this team could go out there and this quarterback could have the impact of that San Jose State quarterback in 2020, and next thing you know, UNLV eclipsed that six-win total. But we're talking about a lot from a lot of unproven people, and that's that's troublesome for me. What do you think of this was on one hand, it was very surprising to me, but then on the, on the other hand, not a surprise at all. What, how do you feel about Harrison Bailey um, being third on the depth chart coming out of spring ball with uh, Cameron Friel and Doug Brumfield being listed as the co-starters co number ones on the QB chart. And then Harrison Bailey, the new guy, we, who we all just assumed is going to be the man um, stepping in and being slotted at number three. Okay. Well, two, two quick things there. One is, you could you could see that that would be the coaching staff maybe trying to keep Brumfield and Friel engaged so they don't leave because Brumfield was briefly in the portal. And secondly, you never know with, with Marcus Aurora. You know, he inherited, like, his first year here, Kenyon Oblad, who had thrown for, like, 21 touchdowns and seven starts as a redshirt freshman. And we're thinking, okay, well – Here's this guy who loves quarterbacks, and he's got a really tall, strong packet pocket passer. Let's see what he could do. And he goes and he starts a fifth-year senior in the six-game season, and it was a complete disaster. And then last year, Brumfeld looks like Steve Air McNair in training camp. He's running, he's throwing, he's he's athletic, he's got control of the offense, and they start the the Rogers kid from TCU, who was clearly not a good quarterback. Um, so who knows what's going on over there? He knows football better than us, apparently. I think you were right on with your first point. That was my initial instinct, was that if you want to, not just to keep Freel and Brumfield in the program, but just to keep them keep their competitive juices flowing, because I feel like those guys are both coming back. They both started games last year. And if some transfer just walks in and at the end of the spring ball is named the starter – 
that then that QB competition is over. Like he's going into week one and Bailey, if he wins it now, he's going into week one as the starter. There's no competition. Um, it's, it's over and done with. Whereas if you do it the way Arroyo did it with those Freel and Brumfield at number one and the expected favorite at number three, well, now the competition is still on and you can have a full training camp with all three guys slugging it out. The door is not slammed on anyone. I think that's maybe just a way to foster a longer competition and keep everyone engaged. But I do still fully expect Harrison Bailey to start week one and he stays healthy. Let, 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 me count, let me counter that. And I don't disagree with you, but if I'm UNLV and I'm struggling to get people to go into Allegiant Stadium and I'd like to create a good home field environment, why don't you, you name this kid the starter and you go market him and maybe you get some hype around the program and you get some people to attend the games. And then instead of spending all August having this kid share reps with Cameron Friel, let the guy take all of the reps so he is the guy and he's ready to go. My my two cents. I guess that would fall into the, the question of how much do you think that coaching staff should be devote how much of their job in their work, how much energy should they be devoting to attracting fans and selling tickets? Like some coaches believe that's part of their job and they're gung ho and like, Hey, we want to sell tickets. That's part of our job responsibilities. And then other coaches say, Hey, that's not my job is to coach the team and to win games. It's the administration's duty to, you know, market the team and get people in the stands. So I'm not sure where Marcus Arroyo falls on that. Maybe he doesn't feel it's his job to hype people up with this, this quarterback and try to get more people. Maybe that, maybe he just doesn't pay attention to that. And he's I mean, just maybe about if, if we could get, if we could, maybe if they could get a few more thousand people to the North Texas game, they could win no matter who the quarterback is. Listen, I'm not saying I disagree with you. I'm just playing devil's advocate on behalf of Marcus Arroyo. Like me, I, like, I think Kevin Kruger feels like some of his responsibility is to get people in the stands. Like we saw last year when UNLV basketball had those games on the strip where no one came. They had, you know, 250 fans. I think you could see Kevin Kruger was kind of hurt by that and kind of shocked. And um, and you saw him, like, make a concerted effort to try to draw fans back in through the rest of the season. I don't know if Marcus Arroyo feels the same way about whether, you know. Who does he care? Yes, not, I don't think yes. he cares if anybody goes to any of their games or if you and me, including you and me. I think I you've got a good, I think you've got a good point. If you, if you hype up this incoming quarterback, this five-star recruit and say like, Hey, this is the guy, everybody believe everybody buy in, come on fans. You might see an uptick in attendance and, on the other hand, if you downplay him and say, oh, well, we saw him in spring and he might not be as good as we thought. He's number three on the depth chart. You might turn off some fans who are considering buying tickets. So I do think that it that comes into play. If you're UNLV, who is the face of the program? Who's on the poster? Who do you Marcus care about to see? Not, he's not. He doesn't want to be on the poster. He's, he's consistently, since he's been here, not wanted to be the outward-facing face of the program. That, that's the truth. It's not a knock against the guy. It's just not what he wants. I mean, who's the to Lance Sawyer? You know what I'm saying? Who's the, you know, the Jason Thomas, right? Who's the Charles Chuckwagon Wilson? Who is that? I don't know if they've got a, a Charles Williams on this roster. I think the closest guy is probably Harrison Bailey if he's good. But 
Who are they bringing to media day this year? Hasn't been announced yet. The I media day media day has been announced. They haven't said who their which players are going to represent the team. Um, so I mean, we don't know about their that. best player. You tell me. There's a hundred guys Kyle on the roster. Kyle Williams is their like most accomplished, probably most well-known player. I would say wide receiver. Is he the guy? I don't know. I mean, you you would think I don't know. I don't know. So I guess I so go back to the original point. Um, I guess so. You are surprised, or you were like, you wanted Harrison Bailey at number one clearly at the end of spring. Like, let's end this quarterback controversy for once. Let's have one season and off season where we know what we're doing as an offense. And like, we have the man, and we're going to ride him. Let's put this guy on a billboard and let's get excited for. Six home games at a $2 billion stadium that you've been waiting at for 40 years to play in that now you could play in with no mask requirements or no seating capacity limits. You could just go cheer for the Scarlet and Gray on Saturday and sing the fight song and create memories with your family because, you know, it's it's such a beautiful venue. And, I mean, this is what you got to remember, Michael. And I've been telling anybody who will listen to me, this is a unique situation unlike any other season in the history of the program. This is an era where they have the Fertitta Football Complex and Allegiant Stadium. They are recruiting to that. They are playing to that. That is their identity. This cannot be a two-win Sam Boyd Stadium. Oh, crap, I'm out of players. Hey, quarterback, could you go play linebacker in the last game of the season? Okay, this is like five-star quarterback from the SEC could throw the ball, is built like a quarterback, somehow picked us because he thinks he could be the nice Justin Herbert, right? Yeah. Let the yeah. guy play. Let the guy play. I, I guess the the really the only counter I can come up with that would make sense um, for why they're doing what they're doing is what if he's just not that good? What if they got him in for spring and they saw him play for a month and they said, like, hey, he's, he's not Cody, what we thought he was. Cody Dolan is what you're saying. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's the case. We didn't get to see him play in spring. We All we saw as the media was the, the open practice at the end where they played a little bit of live scrimmaging and he was fine in that Doug Brumfield was fine as well. Maybe they're just trying to caution against people getting, or the hype getting too out of hand with this kid because they don't think he's that good overall, or they don't think he's going to be that good in year You're one. Right. I don't, he could, I don't he know. Stuck. You know, they could have made a bad evaluation and now they're stuck with the guy like they were stuck with Justin Rogers, the kid that somehow was the starter last year against Eastern Washington. And, and, and who knows? Or, if I know Marcus Aurora, he could play Brunfield for the first half, Bailey for the second half against Idaho State, and that'll throw Cameron Frill in there to run some read option. And then we'll, you know, go to Cal and lose by 30. Then we'll come home and we'll play North Texas, and he'll say Frill's our best option. And he'll run Frill and they'll lose by 45 points. I'm going on on the record right now on the podcast. I think I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's all mind games, keeping the quarterbacks competitive. I think Bailey is the guy. I think he's number one. I think he'll finish training camp as number one. I think he'll be the entrenched starter week one and throughout the season. 
So I don't, don't go, don't flip your lid just yet. Don't blow your stack. I mean, I think. The one thing you got to remember in closing is that thus far, Marcus Aurora has done nothing that we've expected him to do. Nothing, nothing at all. Right. In terms Pat of what? Okay. We hired the guy from Oregon, right? What do you think the team's going to look like three years ago? Um, I thought it would look some, I thought it would be, you know, fast, um, spread the ball around short intermediate passing game, dual threat quarterback, explosive um, plays. Once you warp and break the defense, playing with pace, playing fast, um, good offensive line. That's what I thought the offense would look like. Okay. Well, how has it looked? It looked like they gave the ball to receiver screen dropped uh, ball that hangs up on the air. Quarterback after quarterback getting hurt because your offensive line can't stop anything. It looked like they gave the ball to their running back 280 times because they really didn't have anything else is what it looked like to me. And the running back is good. Nothing away from Charles Williams. He deserved those carries. Um, And he's a great player, but they had, it was an offense that had nothing else like that. So um, yeah, Yeah. it hasn't been built as quickly as um, you might've hoped for. Yeah. Um, But I do think that. What kind of recruiter did you think he'd be? It's tough to say because I thought he would be a good recruiter. I thought it'd be an asset there, but it's hard to say how successful he's been just because the three years that he's been here have been the most um, we've seen the most change in recruiting in those three years. Like recruiting now looks nothing like it did three years ago because of the pandemic, because of the transfer portal, mm-hmm. um, Recruiting is, recruiting is entirely different. Like Bobby Bowden could prime Bobby Bowden could step back onto the field today via time machine and be a terrible recruiter just because recruiting has changed so much since, you know, what was he's had some good classes and to his credit, I was at the last game last year, the San Diego state game where they were stuck playing Justin Rogers and they took San Diego state to the brink and Mm -hmm. I really, if you if you go back and read my column from that day, I really thought they turned a corner there. I, you know, and I'm thinking, well, they got a lot, to, they got something to build on, you know. And then of course they lose their top defender in the portal, you know, their wide receiver is still a question mark, and that's why I just think that I hate to go back to an old topic, but if you had some clarity with with the quarterback situation. I think that would just be so much better for the program going forward because the 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 one the only consistent part about UNLV football since Randall Cunningham left is they've been inconsistent, right? You know, when I did that story on Ryan Wolf going into the Hall of Fame, it's like the best receiver in the history of the program. He had like nine different quarterbacks in three years. You know, now you got a chance to have a guy. And granted, he may suck. He may suck. Somebody from UNLV may call you tomorrow, Michael, and say, hey, we listened to the podcast. FYI, between us, Harrison Bailey is awful. He can't throw the ball from me to you. And even though we only do Kyle Williams take one step forward or back, we're going to throw you the ball, and we'll let's see if you can take it down Russell Road. He, he, he can't even do that. Let's talk basketball. All right. 
let's let's talk basketball um go ahead go ahead michael i was gonna i had a great segue but you take my thunder go ahead go go, go ahead go right right speaking of williams uh donovan williams uh remains in the nba draft where he won't get picked uh but he'll be in the d league somewhere you think i'm does that do you think okay so I feel like most people think that he will go undrafted. Um, do you feel like that's a bad decision for him? I mean, I can't I don't know his situation. Um and then uh Yeah, Michael, I just don't know the guy's situation, bro. I mean, I don't know where where he's at in his studies if you know if you know, but he's ready to go pro. I don't know if he needs the money, if there's more money in the G League than an IL, NIL at UNLV. Um, maybe he could go over to Italy and make a buck 30. Um, and, and, and who knows? You know, look at the NBA this year, right? The Celtics got a guy uh, uh, that played for Colorado Springs, Colorado, and another team's got a guy who played at Willing Jesuit. Um, and they made it. So while he's still young, why not start the journey of trying to find a spot? You know, there's a hundred guys like him that are going to get cut, signed, be in the summer league, go to Mexico, go to Canada, go to Italy, go to Israel, play in the D league. And, you know, maybe one day somebody blows out their ACL and he gets a 10 day with the Pelicans. And next thing you know, he's that kid from Georgia tech that I love. Yeah, no, I see. I, I agree with you. I think that like the, the one thing I would say about Donovan Williams is you said he's young. I would disagree. He's played three years of college. I don't know if he was one of those guys who, you know, reclassified in high school and is a year older than his class. I don't know about that, but he's already played three years of college. Um, you can come back for your senior year, but like he's old for an NBA prospect for a guy who's trying to like, like if you're an NBA prospect, you have probably gone by now. Um, so I don't think he's leaving early, like early on that timeline. Um, and I'm always, I've always come down. If you, if your goal is to be a professional basketball player and you have the opportunity to do that, then go be a professional basketball player. There's no reason to stay in school. Like, even with NIL at some schools, like, yeah, you could get a lot of money. UNLV is not one of those schools. Like that's not a place where that's going to attract a lot of NIL money. The booster uh, pool is not wide or deep when it comes to money. Um, These kids aren't going to get rich playing basketball at UNLV. If you want to be a pro ball player, go play pro, whether that's in Europe or in the G league or some other league, that's your, probably your best path to the NBA. So I, I think he did make the right decision there if that's what he wants to do. Now, I will, I will say, though, and I hate to cut you off. I'm sorry. That was very rude. But, that was a um, good point to cut me off because I was I had hit the end of my thought, and I didn't know okay. where I was going to go from there. So my, my thing to counter that is I, I'm all down. Go get paid. Go launch that career. Go try to be, you know, one of the guys that breaks through. But is there some merit and valor to – shooting the ball 30 times a game at UNLV and being the, the focal point of the offense at UNLV 
to help accelerate that process and, and kick open a few doors for you? Ray, we could not have a more perfect answer to that question because we just saw Bryce Hamilton try to do that. He was, he had a good junior year. Well, not, I wouldn't say good in terms of putting him on the NBA radar, but he had a productive junior year where he was the number one guy. He, he tried the NBA draft. They said, go back to school for another year. He did. He came back. Um, he was the number one guy again. He had a better season. He had an explosive season. I thought he played really well for stretches. Um, and then in the end, how much did it help his NBA stock? Zero percent. He got zero. Donovan, I mean, uh, Bryce Hamilton got zero percent bump from what he did coming back as a senior. He would have his draft stock would have been the exact same if he had stayed in the draft as a junior. So if you're Donovan Williams and you see that, you say, yeah, I could go back to school and be the number one guy and maybe score 20 points a game. But NBA guys are not really looking at stats. They're more looking at, you know, your tangibles, your measurables, um, your talent level. And yeah, they want to see production mixed in there against high level, but against high level opposition. But at 22 years old as a prospect, I think Donovan Williams is the same guy last year that he would be this year to the NBA. From like for UNLV, he'd be much better as a senior, and you'd be expecting him to be a superstar. But in terms of an NBA prospect, he's the same prospect he was he is now that he would be at this time next year. So I'm, I don't see a real reason for him to come back. Just like there probably wasn't really an NBA related reason for Bryce Hamilton to come back. Sure, he just wanted that five hundred dollar a month Finley uh, Toyota coupon. Did let me ask you. Real, really quick, because I don't want to go too deep into the NIL rabbit hole. Where are these people like supporting UNLV program? Did you expect more once the once the NIL became legal and ratified? Did you expect the local uh, businesses and boosters to step up in a bigger way? Like, if you want Donovan Williams, where's the guy offering him six figures to stay? Yeah, I just I don't think we're at that point right now um, with the program. I think all the quote unquote boosters are guys who have previously spent money, but who aren't willing to spend money for a non-NCAA tournament team. Um, you know, um, and and I just think that in the 90s or the glory years, if you will, and I know people hate to bring that up, but UNLV basketball was the only game in town. And people love them like people love the, the Golden Knights currently. And when you haven't been to the tournament since 2012 or 2013, you know, that love kind of fades a little bit. And, you know, if Cliff Finley wants to give out 60 grand worth of cars to 12 guys, that might be as good as you get. Um, it's not like you're the Alabama quarterback. I agree with you. I agree with what you said. It's conditional. Like if they get better, you may see some of those boosters come out of the woodwork. But for now, it's uh, it's not making much of a difference for you. And all it didn't make any difference for Donovan Williams. How do you think that impacts them for next year without Donovan Williams? Does it impact? You know, I think a lot of people thought this would be their year to make a push for the tournament. You know, year two under Kruger, um, it shouldn't take more than two years to rebuild a team in this college basketball landscape. Are you? Do you still feel like they can do that? Or now are you now saying like, Hey, let's pump the brakes. Donovan Williams was that important to what they had built for this year. So for me, two, two things, one, and, and maybe you could answer when I'm done. I don't know where the scoring is going to come from. Secondly, they lost their top three players, right? 
Hamilton, Williams, and Royce Ham. And for me, and you're you'll probably disagree, but Ham is the tough one to replace because he really protected the basket, grabbed a lot of rebounds, played really hard. And I know they've got Isaiah Cottrell, who has a similar build and a similar pedigree in terms of being like a top 70 high school recruit from the Big 12. But I just think Royce was older, uh, more accomplished, and he had that that intangible about being available. And I think he willed them to be better than what they were. Um, now, granted, Bryce took over in a few games, and Donovan was a great one-two punch. But now you're looking to replace three people. Um, and who are you replacing them that with? Who, who's your starting five? Who's going to score your points for you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think you're right on that Royce Ham was sort of the backbone of the team. He was there every night. He's a really good rebounder, um, surprisingly athletic. Um, and, yeah, it's. I think that if Donovan Williams had stayed, I would be significantly higher on their tournament chances. Without him, your offense is a – it's a big question mark. I don't know if they have that guy on the perimeter who can just – um, score the ball or just beat a defense. You know, it's one thing I get what they're doing. They're get, They're going to get plus defenders at every position. They're going to get plus defenders on the bench. They're going to hold you to, you know, 64 points. And then they're just going to run their offense and try to grind out 68 points. Um, but there are times when you just need a guy that can beat the defense off the dribble or hit a three pointer over a contested three, you know, that's well, that's well defended. I don't know if they have that. But who are, who are your top five? Who, who's your starting five? They're going to roll the ball out there on game one, and, and who's going to be on the team? I say Elijah uh, Harkless is your number one guy. Like, he's the number one scorer. He's going to be your guy handling the ball, shooting it. Um, Keyshawn Gilbert will be out there with him. I think that's a really, really tough defensive backcourt. Um, if you throw out someone like uh, Elijah Parquet, who is another defensive guard, um, Luis Rodriguez, who is more of a small forward, but, you know, can tweener can play, you know, a little bit bigger as your power forward, another like athletic defender. I like him a lot. And then someone like David Mawaka at the five, who is a Supreme shot blocker. You saw him playing really well at the end of last year. If that's your starting five, that's a great defensive five. I think that's the best defensive five in the league, probably better than San Diego state. Uh, better than Boise. I think that's a really, really good defensive starting five. I just don't know if anyone on that team can score. Like Harkless scored 10 points a game at Oklahoma last year. So he can do it. Like he'll be double figures for you and I'll be for sure guaranteed. The rest of them, I don't know if there's a double digit scorer in that group. So that's that's the main question. That would be my five. I'm still like sort of working through these new recruits as they come in. I'm kind of watching video. Um, I haven't seen them all yet, but that's my five. Yeah, and and Jordan McCabe, Michael, is uh, where in the mix? I mean, was he just so bad in the Mountain West tournament loss that he's now a seven-minute-a-game point guard off the bench? I think seven minutes is too far. Do you like that? Because he does bring some stuff to the table that you like because he's he can run an offense. He's a good ball handler, usually low turnover. Um, I just feel like if you look at the kind of team they're trying to build, 
with the long defenders, athletic, um, covering a lot of ground defensively, like really tough-minded on the ball defense. He's a guy who doesn't like quite fit that profile um, athletically. I think Keyshawn Gilbert fits that spot better. That sort of prototype. That's why I have Gilbert next to Harkless in the backcourt, just because you can unleash both of those guys as on-ball defenders and you're going to make life miserable for the opponents. Whereas Jordan McCabe really can't bring that to the table. He's a defender who he's smaller. He's easy to shoot over. He has to sag off um, on defense and play more positional kind of defense. He's not going to really make your life. Like I said, he's not going to make your life miserable. Like a guy like Keyshawn Gilbert. So I just see, I don't see him as, as much of a stylistic fit as the rest of the guys. So off the bench, he's your 20 minute guy. Um, more than that on some nights, if he can improve the three point shot, but he's, yeah, I don't, I think he's probably not the best fit going forward uh, this year. Yeah. And of course, uh, there's another guard in the mix, the big guard, uh, UNLV with a, uh, three-star top 80, uh, commit on, uh, Saturday. And, uh, how, how does he fit in and tell us a little bit about him? Yeah, Keyshawn Hall, um, the guy who was a little bit of a late bloomer on the recruiting trail, um, the guy you didn't hear much about until I think after this past season ended, and then you saw some higher level teams going after him. You know, his, his final uh, decision was between UNLV, like St. Mary's, Arizona State, so some legitimate programs, like some good programs. Um, yeah, like you said, six foot seven, um, a big six foot seven, like he's a big dude. Um, versatile. looks like he's got some versatility on offense. I haven't studied his game. I've just watched the highlights and, you know, he's a guy who can shoot it a little bit. He's, he's, but mostly I see him running over smaller players in the post. So we'll have to see how that translates, but, um, Kruger seems to like him, seems to think he's can be turned into like a versatile offensive player. So, um, and also significant, he's the first high school guy in the class. You know, before that, it was five transfers. I thought they were going to go all transfers for the entire class. But uh, they liked him enough. That says something, that if they like him enough as a freshman to bring him in um, from high school, they think that he can probably play a little bit this year. So, yeah, probably not significant minutes, but I would expect to see him on the floor this year, see what he's got. Well, Michael, I'm looking forward to seeing him on the floor and – just to our listeners out there, Mike should be talking to the big guard, as he likes to be called, uh, later today on Tuesday. So we'll have a story uh, Thursday's paper and online Thursdays. So uh, everybody, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Rebel Room, a Las Vegas Sun podcast. Uh, for Michael, I'm Ray. Thank you.